Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com and uh, we're back again with another Holiday Chat 2019 edition and um, I have a caller on the line from the UK. We've got Ali and uh, Ali's been in the UK now for quite some time. Ali, when did you say you moved to the UK? It's uh, early 2008. 2008, so you've been there for over a decade now. Yeah. And you have an idea for a business that you'd like to grow into a franchise operation um, and you want to get my feedback. Why don't you explain to everyone what, what the concept is? Right. Okay. What I found in the UK at the moment is like uh, uh, there is normal traditional state agency where you go to, I mean, they sell uh, and let uh, your property. And other, uh, if you have a business, then you have to go to other uh, companies or other outlet where they like business transfer agent. Mm-hmm. The mechanism of both are same, like in going out, taking pictures, uh, evaluate the business or the property and come back to the office and put them um, to a marketing channel, whatever they use. Uh, because I, I am, I born and grown up in Saudi Arabia. I have uh, a few in, uh, friends and investors there. Due to the climate change in Middle East generally, uh, they are interested to invest in UK, mm-hmm. either in real estate or in business. Uh, uh, what my plan is like having uh, this franchise system where those franchisee will be able to uh, bring some leads, and we're going to qualify those leads and marry them with 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 the investor who we have on board. Of course, within the time. Uh, this should uh, the investor should increase. We will be opening for uh, any investor, but to start with, I will start with my own circle. Uh, then uh, marry those leads with um, investor with the uh, deals, whatever deals they are. If someone looking for uh, a hotel chain, because I have few friends, they are interested to invest in hotel business, not the property itself. So uh, on, on, on personal level, I managed to, to, to secure like three hotels for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think like there is a room for uh, online, uh, kind of online estate agency or on, online agency where that agency can cover property, buy, sell lands uh, as well, um, uh, selling lands and normal businesses. So are you, okay, so, so you want to create a, a, a brokerage business where you're selling businesses, but also real estate properties. Are you thinking any specific kinds of real estate, such as commercial, commercial investment commercial, or, commercial, or all of it? Commercial, commercial and investment, yeah. Okay, so just commercial and investment. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there, there is such a model that exists right now in the U.S., um, right. One, one of the big business brokerage franchise names there also right. does commercial real estate. So, so you might want to check them out. Um, what are they called? called? It's called Murphy. Murphy. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and I personally know of a couple of business brokers who also do commercial real estate on the side and but do they do the business as well? Like, I mean, uh, because sometimes in business, you just have uh, like a, a, t- a restaurant, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the restaurant owner will not own that building. Mm-hmm. He, he's running that uh, business for like, he have a lease of 10, 20 years, whatever. And for some time, uh, for some reason, he would like to sell uh, his restaurant. So we'll be selling uh, 
I mean, the, the rest of business will not have a property as asset or the real right. estate. So, so before I get into some examples of where I've seen yeah. this, group, okay. let, let's talk more about why it's so separate. Okay. Um, so, so in the introduction, you said that business brokerages and estate agencies have the same process where yeah. they, they get a listing, they evaluate the property or the business, they go take pictures and then they advertise it for sale and do marketing. So that is a little bit true, but there are some very distinct differences between the two. And the biggest one is confidentiality. So a proper business brokerage will list a business for sale and not advertise that the business is for sale. So they won't promote the fact that, you know, Ali's um, corner restaurant is for sale. What they'll say is that there is a, a, family dining restaurant available for sale in the greater Manchester area yep. with, with sales of a certain amount and the cash flow of a certain amount. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because they, they, the owner of the restaurant does not want it to become publicly known yep. that it's for sale. Whereas the owner of a commercial property that wants to sell the building um, wants everyone to know that it's for sale. That's right. Right. And it's, it's because the, the value of the cash flow of the business is not going to be impacted by the news that the building is for sale. Because the, you know, if it's a commercial property and they have tenants, those tenants are all in leases. If the building is sold to somebody else, the leases carry on. So they're, they're not affected. The general public's not affected. In the case of a business, if people find out that a business is for sale, employees become concerned about whether or not the business is actually failing or not. They might start to seek other jobs. Suppliers become concerned that um, maybe there's something wrong with the business and they won't get paid. Customers are concerned that deliveries won't be made or warranties won't be honored by a new owner. So all kinds of trouble that comes from people knowing that a business is for sale. And the, the method of valuation um, you know, with commercial properties, it's tied to the income, you know, capitalization yeah. rates based on the cash flow of the business, et cetera. Um, and what is, what is very nice about commercial real estate evaluation, and I know a couple of commercial property appraisers that I've done business with for many years, they have access to information that is miles beyond what business evaluators have. Um, because oftentimes when a, when a property is sold, the transaction value becomes part of a public database. So those appraisers can see what buildings actually sold for, know what the square footage of those buildings are. They can make calculations, you know, they, they, they can start to see what's happening in a market as far as how much things are selling by square foot or what they're selling for as a, uh, in relation to the cash flow. So they can determine their cap rates and things like this. Whereas with businesses, um, a lot of the times you're dealing with imperfect information. And so you sometimes have to rely more on the experience of the evaluator. Um, I, you know, the, the culture of the two kinds of enterprises are very different. In, in a business brokerage, everyone is very aware that everything is secret all the time. Yeah. Whereas in a, in a, in a state agency, um, you don't have that culture necessarily. Information is, is floating around and, and people want to promote things. The, 
here, here's where I've seen these two things come together very successfully. And I'm not very informed at all about what Murphy's is doing. And I haven't spoken to any Murphy's office owners or anything like that. I just know from a trade show I attended in Atlanta years ago that they promoted themselves as a business brokerage with a real estate component. And here's where this works well together. Business brokers often have very slow deal flow and it's a very up and down kind of cash flow. That's right. Right. And so I actually did a a report a few weeks ago on the main YouTube channel where I talked about um, the IBBA did a survey of their brokers and the average respondent did less than one deal in the quarter. Wow. So, So, and I can tell you from my own experience owning a business brokerage, as soon as you, you know, get some listings and you start to try to sell them, if you're a small office, if you're an individual broker, for sure, um, selling four, five, six businesses in the course of a year it is maybe typical. Um, really? I sold more than that, but I also took on business listings that were quite small that most brokers would turn their nose up at. And the reason, the reason I took on the little ones is because I knew I needed as many deals as possible for cash flow. Yeah. And, and the, peop, the business brokers that dabble in commercial, a lot of what they do is leasing agent work. Yeah. So they'll, they'll go and they'll, they'll show office space or retail space to business people. And, and those types of deals get done with much greater frequency. If, somebody wants to come to your town and they need to open an office and they want to be open in two months. It means at some point in this month, they're going to sign a lease somewhere. That's right. Yeah. Right. So if they're working with you and you help them sign that lease, then you're going to be paying some kind of commission. And that's, that's where I've seen people do this together. And the purpose of doing the commercial stuff is to create some kind of cash flow. Yep to help pay the bills and everything while you're waiting for the business brokerage deals to close, which typically have very large commissions because they're so difficult to put together. Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, where, where I can get hold of like uh, the real estate business, uh, I have, because I run the house, so I, I know that it out and the procedure uh, for it like uh, the manual and procedure and forms and all this stuff. And uh, in terms of business brokerage, because I, I try to dig down, there is not many uh, like selling uh, those type of you know, manuals, the procedures. Oh, yes. So I, we, we, so I can put all this package together in terms of yeah. franchise well, system. Well, there is. It's just that there's nobody really doing it in the UK. So, so I've got a friend, I've got a friend over there uh, named Clinton Lee, who's trying to establish some sort of organization or body nationally to, to be an association for, for transfer agents, but he's just, he's just begun. It hasn't taken off. You have to look to the other side of the ocean. So, um, you know, when I was attending the IBBA functions years ago, when I was a member, when I had my brokerage office open, there were people there from Europe and the UK. Yeah. So what what you would have to do is you would have to look for, to an organization like that for the training and development and then adapt and it'd be very easy to adapt certain small details for the UK market. What? It, 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 there is anything available in the market like full package kind of uh, for 
from A to Z, forms and procedures and marketing materials, whatever. So I just take that, bump that with, with the real estate business and have full package there for, for the business? Or Well, there, the IBBA teaches a certification program on how to be a business broker. So they actually have classes on topics like evaluation and, and, and things like this. Um, there are other providers out there who have, who sell kits of information for people that yep. want to get into this business. Um, one of the big ones is called business brokerage press. Nice. BBP Inc for short. I think their website might be bbpinc.com. And okay. um, they're some, they're in the North. I think they're in new England. They're in the Northeast somewhere of the United States, but they have nice. all kinds of books and manuals and, and full packages of, of documentation about how to right. run a business brokerage business. Right. Okay. Okay. What's what, what's the most like obstacles could be with 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 uh, combining these two together, these two models? The the obstacle would be maintaining the proper conduct on the business brokerage side. So so protecting the confidentiality and and, and things like that. Um, the you know I I know plenty of commercial realtors and they will take on people under them, almost like an apprentice kind of role where, yeah. you know, someone will learn under them and it takes, you know, a year or more for that person to really become good and knowledgeable in business brokerage. It can take even longer. It can take a year for someone just to become competent, but still mm -hmm. need the input of someone more experienced. And, and this is why, you know, networks and franchise systems provide a value. When, yeah. when I had my office, I was a, I was a, under the Sunbelt Business Brokers franchise. And, you know, one of the biggest things it gave to me was the ability to pick up the phone and call other people in other offices so that I could, you know, just have, uh, you know, a conversation amongst colleagues or to ask them specific questions. You know, within Canada, I was able to, with a few phone calls, find out if somebody in the network had recently done business on a similar business that I was looking at. So I could call them up and get their feedback on, on what things happened that I should be aware of and, and things like that. And yep. so that, that access to information was one of the most powerful reasons why you want to be um, connected in that kind of network. I know that within the world of business brokers, there are a lot of independent actors. And, so that's right. you know, a lot of them derive huge value from being in an organization like IBBA because they'll right. try to create their own friendships that they can leverage their own team, you know, group of colleagues. It's very easy to meet people who are in other markets who are not really competitors, right? But yep. are open to sharing information. And so, you know, from, from the point of view of the idea of starting up a franchise business in the UK that does real estate and business brokerage, um, have you, worked in one of these fields before yeah, real estate yes and i, I did a few business acquisitions mm -hmm. so uh the, the process uh, what i mean by process like uh, the, the usually i mean one of the nightmares is dealing with uh business transfer agent it's like uh, i don't know what's what was the problem there but it's like this is what i experienced that the agent usually is either make the deal or 
kill the deal in my scenario. Eighty mm-hmm. percent uh, is kill the deal. <laughs> you know, yeah, this yeah. Is, this is what I experience, and this is what is motivate me to 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 have kind of our own system where we can uh, bypass the, the, the those lazy agents and uh, uh, provide to, to the market professional and uh, cost-effective service there where we can make the franchisee happy, we can make the investor happy, and uh, we're serving the market as well. Yeah. The, you know, one, uh, you know, other people who, you know, there's other big franchise brands, like we mentioned Murphy, there's Sunbelt, and there's one called Transworld. And these are big names, of course, in North America. Um, and, and that's probably part of their mission too. How can right. we make this work better? And yeah. I, I can tell you that for all the training and all of the networking and all of the information that those franchise companies are able to deliver to individuals who sign up with them, the service that the business owner gets and the buyers get is still completely related to the individual they're dealing with in the local field. That's right. Right. Good. So even like within Sunbelt, we were supposed to cooperate with each other. So, so if I had a buyer who said he was looking for a certain kind of business and he was willing to relocate, I was supposed to be able to introduce him to other opportunities in the Sunbelt network in other offices. That's right. And sometimes those other office owners were really open to that and very welcoming of me, you know, trying to help. And other times they they didn't want to deal with me at all. They're like, no, I'll do it on my own. I want all the commission. What, 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 what if we created our, our like kind of software or, or a database, central database, where it's, it's not a choice for the individual franchisee to uh, select which, uh, how to deal with the inquiries. Like, okay, automatically all this you know, will generate. It's like there is a call center, they receive the inquiry, and they collect all the database, the, the, the franchisee, uh, his job is just basically like promote and, and, and network rather than uh, uh, this way of thinking something here like just came to my head is like what what type of problems the franchisee will be facing because my, my, my goal is uh, the franchisee should be end of the day make money otherwise I mean, yeah. one, one year down the line it's like uh, you say well, the, the difficulty the difficulty is that we're not selling a product off the shelf. We're selling something that's very complex, and that's that right. seller has a relationship with the broker that listed the business for sale. Yeah. And so, so that particular person is the choke point of information and and yeah, uh, yeah. communication. That's and right. so, the listing agent has to be on board with working with another agent and. And uh, most business brokerage is done under exclusive contracts, which means that, um, let, let me back up a bit. In most of the world, it's done under exclusive contracts, which means that there's only ever going to be one broker between the buyer and the seller, except yeah. that is not the norm in Florida. So right. Florida has kind of evolved a little bit differently than most other markets. It really does copy more so the real estate model, where buyers and sellers both have agents and there is sort of a central clearing place where almost an MLS of businesses and they do work with each other much more frequently because that's the norm there. I've had many clients in Florida uh, on the buy side and, and what 
we still run into, regardless of, of this better cooperative system that they have going, we might be able to say, is that it doesn't matter how, how cooperative or how good the buyer's agent is. If the broker that listed the business doesn't know what, they, what they're doing and they put a bunch of inaccurate and incorrect information into the systems, yeah, yeah, you yeah. still don't you still don't sell any businesses. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's like basically like inspiring and having some motivation to the individual there to 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 close the deal. Yeah, and and so in North America, you know, it's a very spaced out, very large area, and so business brokerages here tend to be very oriented towards geographies. So you have an office in a certain city and you you're willing to list and sell any business in that area that meets your criteria. And what, what I have noticed is that in the UK it's because the country geographically is much smaller. What, what has happened is that there are many more transfer agents, which have, have developed silos by specific industry. Right. So you'd, you'd have one transfer agent who maybe is a specialist at certain kinds of manufacturing and he lists businesses all over the country. Right, 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 right. And then, yeah. and then everyone right. who, who wants a certain, that type of business just goes, you know, they know that there are a few names who are the big names in, in selling those businesses, right? That, that's right, yeah, yeah. So, so what do you think, like, there is a room for a newcomer there? I think there's always a role for innovation. The, the challenge is always the same, and that is getting through to the business owners mm. and, and having them see value in what you're doing differently. Business brokerage is a two-part sales cycle. The, the first sale that the transfer agent has to make, um, and I, I use transfer agent for those who are listening who don't know, in, in the UK, business brokers are called business transfer agents. But... Yeah. Um, the first sale that has to be made is that the transfer agent has to convince the business owner that they are the one that's going to be able to do a good job selling the business. And that sale can take a year or more. Yeah. And, and then once you've got the listing, then it becomes about trying to find that buyer. And, and what's interesting is that from the, and this is one of the conflicts that brokers get caught in all the time. If you're competing with other transfer agents to get the listing, there's a, there's a temptation to tell the business owner things they want to hear, like that yeah. their business is worth a lot of money, that their business is going to be easily sold. And then once you've secured the listing, now you actually have to try to find a buyer who sees the value and wants to buy it. And what if you told the seller it's worth more than it truly is? Yeah. Right. And so then you have to, then you have to alter the expectations of the seller so that you can make the deal palatable to a buyer, and because and they always they, they they blame the market always, like, like especially with with the state agents, this will happen with us a few times. They will come value the house, let's say for five hundred thousand pounds, and then uh, the real value is three hundred something. They will say, you know, it's worth five hundred. They hook you up with the contract. Uh, you pay the commission, whatever. Agree, sign the contract. Now you are bound to them. Uh, a few weeks later, they will say to you, okay, the market is slow now. You have to reduce your price. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, the, the, and, and the, the difference is with a the property, these things yeah. happen over a couple of weeks. 
and mm. with a business yeah. we, a month. we could be stretching it out for months or years yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right. one of the one of the first businesses i listed for sale was a fried chicken franchise business restaurant right uh-huh. and it took me months to get the listing and then it took me 3 years to sell it wow yeah and and in that particular case um it didn't take a long time to sell it because it was a poor business at all it was a fantastic business the difficulty was that the the gentleman owned the restaurant and the property and he would not consider offers to sell the business alone and so the challenge there is finding someone who not only had the resources to make an offer on the business but also the resources to buy the building at the same time yeah, yeah. and so so by by putting two different assets together into one transaction we we had to wait until we found someone who had enough money for the down payments and was able to give the bankers confidence and 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 we after it took a long time but we found a gentleman who used to be a franchisee of another restaurant operation and so the the banks loved that because they knew that he knew how to run a restaurant within a franchise system so he was able to get more credit from the bank um, than other people. And he also brought more money to the table, but it took three years to find the guy. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's like the, the, the main challenge will be uh, having the business order on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, there. Okay. And if you, if you can demonstrate that you offer something different. So you mentioned about creating a database of investors so, yeah, I, I could say like uh, if you don't get to within 30 days or, or, or 14 days your offer, uh, commission uh, refunded. They will get the offer. But the problem is every, every investor have to go through the books. That we don't know like if, if, if they like uh, that business or not. Well, the, the, the challenge that is could that be dodgy as well. Like, okay, I can send my friend sending his offer. <laughs> well, well, here's, here's the challenge is that if you list yeah. a restaurant for sale, you can be certain yeah. that people will want to buy it because there's a yeah. lot of people looking for that kind of business. That's right. You could sell, you could list for sale a very profitable business in a certain niche industry. Yeah. And, and it might sit for eight months before anyone who is willing to consider that type of business comes along. If, if, if I have, let's say, I have a listing of restaurant, can I sell that business to a competitor and it would not look like I breach a contract of confidentiality there? Well, you know, in, in the actual functioning of these, of these deals, what happens is a buyer comes along and let's say a competitor comes along and says, oh, I see you have a restaurant listed for sale. Yeah. And you say, you say, yes, I do. And then you send them the non-disclosure agreement or they come to your office and they fill one in. And then what I would do is I call the business owner who's listed for sale and I say, look, I've gotten an inquiry from this guy. Do you want me to deal with him? Right. Okay. And sometimes the business owner will say, no, I know that guy. I don't trust him. He's just trying to figure out who's for sale, you know, that's right. And, and, and this is what makes the market so inefficient is that every part of the business brokerage world is still based on interactions between people, you know, and all of the technology that's come about really all it's done is replaced the need for the, you know, classified section of the newspaper. 
when, when I started back in, huh, right. When I got into this back in 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. there were still businesses being listed for sale in the newspaper under a heading oh. called business opportunities. Mm-hmm. That's long gone, but yeah. you know, all that's gone online, but not much else has, you know, business brokers are better organized with CRM systems and things like this, yeah. but it's really still communications between people. Um, I just, I just had um, a, a client that I had a meeting with who is down in the New York city area and he was interested in a business and he talked with the broker and he asked the broker just to, from very basic information. He wanted to know um, who the seller was and when he could meet the seller. And he wanted to know um, if the last year's tax returns had been filed. And then he didn't hear back from the broker for 10 days. Uh-huh. Just nothing. Oh. He kept sending emails. He placed a phone call, sent a text message, nothing. And so, so he emailed me and he said, what's going on? And I said, oh, you know, they're talking to somebody else or, or they, maybe they, they know that the business is overpriced. So they're trying to find a more, um, you know, a a buyer who's more willing to be taken advantage of or something. And then after 10 days, she finally responded to him. And so, I mean, what do you do with customer service like that? She's the one representing the seller. There's not much the buyer can do. He has to deal with it if he wants a chance to, to buy the business and and that's yeah. the attitude that unfortunately some of the some of the poorer brokers have. You know, they they feel like they've got the golden goose, and people have to do do it their way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But what's the typical commission there for for selling? You know. Um, there are and, 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 and is it advisable sorry is it advisable to have like fixed fee no commission and uh, low entry so to attract more buyer uh, sorry more seller so there, there's a bunch of different ways that that brokers charge um when i had my business brokerage office open i was charging 12 percent of business value and six percent of real estate value if i happened to sell a building at the same time and right. The, I hear a lot of business brokers charge 10%. I know that most business brokers have a minimum fee. So if they're selling a smaller business, there's that minimum charge. There are other variations. Most brokers who have a good reputation have been around for a long time will have some sort of engagement fee. So they'll charge an upfront fee for opening the file and doing all the initial work. When when I was a business broker and people would kind of challenge my, my commission, they would say, oh, 12% is a lot. What I would do is I would explain to them that when they sell their house, there's a mortgage broker and there's a property appraiser and there's a real estate agent. And yeah. the real estate agent finds the buyer and the property appraiser determines the price and the mortgage broker helps the buyer find the money. And in the world of business brokerage, I was doing all three of those roles. So when the the seller came to me, I was doing the evaluation to show them what it would likely sell for so that we could set a realistic asking price. Then I was finding the buyer. And then once we found the buyer, I mean, in some cases, I even wrote business plans for the buyer and then took them down to the bankers that I had relationships with to get the deals funded. Yeah. 
So, so I was kind of doing the role of the mortgage broker too. And so I would say, look, I'm doing all three of these jobs, which means I need to earn you know, what all three of those people would earn. And, and the other thing is that because it takes so long to become a competent broker and you have to have, you have to build up experience and you have to have other people to lean on, to learn from, and you have to do training. And I think before that, even you have to have experience in sales, like business to business, consultative type sales. You have to have some kind of background, which, which means that you know a bit about bookkeeping and accounting and finance. And so if you take a person with all of those skills, you know, that's a six figure income person. That's right. If they were going to go have a job somewhere. And so if you're only going to sell five or six businesses in an average year, maybe only four. And if most businesses are selling for a couple hundred thousand dollars and you're going to be charging a 12% commission and you have all of your overheads in order to get that six figure income, you need to be charging 12%. I see. Right. And, and the thing that is truly unfair about this model is that the people who have great businesses that people want to buy, they end up paying the commission. Whereas people whose businesses are not so great, um, they'll take up the broker's time, but the business may not sell. And so yeah. the successful sellers really are subsidizing, you know, the work done on behalf of the people whose businesses aren't in such great demand. Yeah. Right. Okay. I see. Yeah. There, there are definitely issues with the business and, you know, as far as it really is sort of a wild west kind of business because there's no overarching body that certifies or licenses people specifically for being a business broker in most jurisdictions that have rules at all, they say that to sell a business, you need to have a real estate license. And, and that opens the door, in my opinion, to a bunch of other problems. Um, mm. This was the case where I live here. I had to hold and maintain a real estate license to be a business broker. And so I had to pay fees to the association. I had to pay for insurance, which specifically didn't cover me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to pay for an errors and omissions policy, which specifically said that any transaction involving, you know, any kind of um, uh, demonstration of financial results was not covered. Yeah. And so yeah. I had to have another insurance policy that I paid for. And then I had to go and um, attend two full days of training every year where I learned about things like new roofing materials or oh, new, new yeah. techniques in sealing basement leaks or yeah. changes to the condo owner legislation or things like this, which had nothing to do with me. That's right. But, but yeah. I still had to do it. And the, and the big problem is that because the government said that business brokers had to have real estate licenses, there were real estate people who believed that they were therefore qualified to sell businesses. Right. And one of the things that would happen is I would, I would meet people who wanted to sell their business and they would say, you know, you're charging 12%. My buddy who sold my house said he'll sell my business for 6%. And yeah. I would try to explain the differences in, in skills and everything. And, and, you know, some people, they just, they look at the price, right? And then 
next thing you know, there's a big for sale sign in front of the person's business and people assume it's closed. Sales start to go down. All of yeah. a sudden, then the business is closed and all the value they built up, it disappears. That's to me, that's one of the saddest things that happens. What, what's the best way to find out the multiply in the valuation? Like when you do business valuation? Well, and again, this is where something each like industry doing, is different. But yeah, it's like the, each industry is different, and 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 this is where things like those courses from the IBBA would be would be really valuable. And uh, we'll they, cover UK market as well. Yeah, the, the here's here's what what happens is it's different by industry. Yeah, but they're also a little bit different by country in general. So let me give you uh, an example. The, the multipliers are all based on pre-tax cash flow. Uh-huh. You see the tax rates in the United States are different than the tax rates in the UK or in Canada. Right? And so what, what we observe in the market is that when I look in a, in a database of largely American information, it might sell, say that a certain business sells for about 2.3 times owner's discretionary cash flow. And when I'm looking at a Canadian business, I take that factor and I shrink it by, by, right. and so, because in general, small businesses in Canada sell for about 20% less of a factor than American ones. And it's because the, the, what's not being accounted for in that discretionary cash flow is the tax burden. And so people here are willing to pay less for a business because they don't get as much of that cash flow. So, so the same kind of factor would apply in the UK. Right, 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 right. Okay. And so, and so, and then this is where, where the experience comes in because um, eventually what will happen is even though you work things out mathematically, you might end up with a certain number and then you have to sit back and you look at that number and you ask yourself questions like, you know, if I bought this business and it's got a cash flow of $100,000. And if I worked in this industry as a manager, I would earn 65. Anyway, as a salary, is it really worth it for me to invest that amount of money to obtain an extra, you know, $35,000 every year? Mm-hmm. And, and when you start to ask yourself questions like that, it, become very, it can be very clear, yes, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and and then yeah. and then you have to go back and you have to reconsider your your assumptions. And yes. and that's I think that's part of the problem when we see businesses that are have an overpriced that are overpriced by double and these crazy things, mm. is because somebody is applying some of these methodologies for evaluation, but they don't have the experience to to really know how to consider the different factors for what makes sense and what doesn't. And they, they just say, look, my spreadsheet says this. This is what we're going to sell it for. And then, and then they can't. I see that, especially with Amazon businesses like uh, Amazon store. Mm. It's, it's just a high risk. And plus, like they're asking for uh, silly numbers in, in terms of multiply. Uh, I mean, Amazon can shut down your store anytime. That's so right. You, you pay XYZ amount, assuming you will recover that amount. You know, it's, I don't know. It's like still some people are crazy about it. So, well, you know, and, and you know, certain business types, you see certain crazy things. So yeah. one of the things that I consistently see 
is that simpler businesses that don't require a lot of language competency. So, you know, a dry cleaner, the corner store, um, some little restaurants, gas station. Um, What it means is that someone who's new to the country can run that business. So, and so they have more, it's worth more to them than it is to a local person. And so they're willing to pay more. And so the multiples in those kinds of businesses will get skewed up. And what's happening with the Amazon businesses is I think you've got this new generation of buyers who have this romantic idea that they can buy a business and earn big money while only working very few hours. Mm. And they, and they think that this is the avenue and they, they probably don't have the, the breadth of business experience to understand the risks like the one you just mentioned, you know, Amazon could, could close you down. I've, I've met people online who've been very successful with selling something on Amazon to the point where Amazon sees that the results they're having, and then they get their own Amazon private label product in that category. That's right. Yeah. To compete with them. And all of a sudden their sales drop. Mm. Right. And so the, the flood of people into that industry is causing the multiples to go up. There's a, a fellow in Australia. I had him on my, on my YouTube channel. His name is Jared Krause. He actually had a podcast episode of his own where he was talking about this at the multiples. And, and these businesses are sold on multiples of monthly profit because mm-hmm. they tend to grow so quickly, at least initially. The, the multiples have been growing. And so now people are paying, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, it used to be they were paying about 27 times monthly profit which works out to about 2.3 years, which is kind of the average for most small businesses. But now it's being pushed up above 30. Well, if you get to 36, what that means is that you're so confident in the stability of the business that if everything remained the same and constant, you would be happy waiting three years before you made any money. And in in the world of the internet, we know that three years from now, everything will definitely be different. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so when I see multipliers like that, I'm like, these are buyers who just don't know what they're doing. Yeah. That's right. Right. If, if, let's say, okay, uh, one of the clients uh, would like to sell his business, let's assume his restaurant, he would like to sell the restaurant. And uh, we signed an agreement with him. And in, uh, when we do the number with him, we spot there is an opportunity. Uh, and I waited till he get, let's say, an offer, and I will not represent the offer, or I'll tell him this is the offer. Uh, but uh, I have another buyer for you can pay a little bit extra, less one percent, two percent extra. And that the second buyer is myself. So if there is any like uh, breach of contract or conflict of interest here, if uh, prevent me to to do this type of deals. Well, you know, that is something you would have to specifically research there locally, um, right. because because then it, it comes down to licensing. So if you held an estate agent's license, um, yes. they would have you know a code of ethics and and different rules about self dealing is what it's called, yeah. um, and and there would be certain disclosures you would have to make um, and it could become quite cumbersome. 
And, and so I'm not an expert on that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that you would have to be very careful to make sure that, that you didn't fall into violation of anything because it doesn't matter how big the community is you're in. The community of business owners is always small. That's right. In any community, it's like less than 10% of the people own everything. Right. Yep. Yep. And so, so news about something to do with your reputation spreads very yeah. quickly. You know, yeah. once it gets down to the Rotary Club or the Kiwanis Club or, or the local, you know, dinner club in downtown uh, and people are spreading that, then everyone in the community is going to know. And, and this is the number one thing that, that business brokers have to protect in their industry yeah. is their reputation. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So in terms of like business and procedure for business brokerages, uh, you recommending like uh, to check with BB Inc. and IBB? Yep. BBP Inc. Business Brokerage Press. Oh, okay. BBP and, and the IBBA, the International Business Brokers Association. And right. they, they have a certification program where you can earn a, a designation called the CBI. And this how, lo- how long will it take that? Um, you have to attend several of their of their um, conferences to do classes in a live classroom setting. I know that some of the classes are offered online now. Um, oh, good. When I okay. when I did it, it took me about two years to attend enough conferences to get all my credits and write the exam. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And this can be shareable later on, like if the, the franchisee. Uh, I don't think that's something we have to deal with the IBB. Um, you know, you if you became big enough, you could certainly create your own program, and and that's yeah. what that's what Sunbelt did eventually. Um, after I left, they created their own training program for for their own agents, um, and I think part of the reason why is because of the length of time it took for people to earn the CBI designation, yeah, and so. I've met a few people online who, who went through the Sunbelt program. And um, I think that that was an online program. And, you know, I think Ali, what you have to do is you have to decide, am I willing to build a new business as a franchise model in an industry that I don't have a lot of experience in yet and, and Mm. try to hire the skills needed to, to make this roll out or do you want to actually work as a, as a business transfer agent for a while to, to figure some of these things out before you, you build this thing? Oh, I see. Okay. All right. All right. Or at the very least, at the very least, you know, get some partners or other people involved who, who've been in this business for a while. That's valuable advice there. Thank you yeah. for that. Yep. Right. Okay. That's great. Anything else? Wonderful. You want, thank, want to cover? Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you very much. It's been uh, long enough. Uh, for thank okay. you very much for your time. <laughs> well, it's good to meet you, Ali, and um, and I'm glad that that you're in the audience, and I'm happy that I was able to speak with you today. And uh, maybe we can uh, we can meet up uh, if I'm ever over in the UK sometime soon. Yep. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Yes. Bye bye.